All right, well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Eagle Bird Church. Really good to have you with us today. If you're at one of our campuses or if you're watching this message online around the world, great to have you with us as well. Happy deer hunting opener to you, also known as the weekend Jason Strand speaks every year. <laughs> I use that joke every year, and I'll tell you what, I'll use it again next year because I'll be standing up here on the deer hunting uh, opener. Uh, it's also my birthday this weekend, and I was, I'm 39 years old, and I was talking to my nine-year-old son, Hudson, and he had come with us recently to a friend's surprise 40th birthday party. And he said to me, he goes, Dad, 40 is a really bad birthday. And he didn't say this with a smile on his face. Like, he was very serious about this. He said, it means you're past your prime. <laughs> he said, it's really all downhill from there, Dad. And so I'm listening to this, about to be 39, and I'm thinking, this is it. I got one year left of my prime. I mean, after this, I'm going to be washed up. I'm going to be a has-been. I'm going to be hanging on, trying to DH for some church or team. I mean, it's really all downhill from here. I said to him, I said, I need to make this a really good year then. Okay, that's really where I'm at. Here at church, we are in the fifth and final week of a series called Faith That Works. And it's been based on the book of James in the New Testament. Ever since I became a Christian in college, I have loved the book of James. It's because it's so practical. Look at what James has to say. He says things like, draw close to God and he will draw close to you. I mean, I'll talk to people sometimes and they'll say, I just want to be closer to God. And I'll say, well, if you draw close to him, he will draw close to you. When you start to come to church and you read your Bible and you obey God and serve God, he will begin to draw close to you. James says things like, if you need wisdom, and don't we all? He says, if you want to know what God wants you to do, ask him. If you've got a big decision in your life, you need to be asking God, God, give me the wisdom to make this decision. And then James says things like, how do you know what will happen tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog or the morning mist. It's here a little while and then it's gone. Reading the book of James has helped me make better decisions. It's helped me control my temper and my words. It's helped me keep my priorities straight. If you have never read through the book of James before, I would highly encourage you to do so this week. It's only five chapters long. You'll get through it in a week. But today we're going to look at a verse in James that has always bugged me. I don't know if you've ever had this experience before, but sometimes when I read a verse in the Bible, I go, oh, that is so true. And then there are other times I read a verse in the Bible and I go, yeah, I'm not so sure about that. This is one of those verses found in James chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. It says, Elijah was a man just like us. James said he prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain, on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, this time for rain, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. So James says that Elijah was a man just like us. But as I read about the life of Elijah, who was a prophet in the Old Testament, I think to myself, frankly, he seems nothing like me. I mean, just look at the example that James gives. One time, Elijah told people, it's not going to rain for three and a half years, and it didn't. Then Elijah prays that it would rain, and the heavens opened up. I can't even pray for an open parking spot at the mall. And this guy is controlling Dave Dahl's Doppler radar. I don't get it. When my wife was in high school, 
she and her sister Melinda, who's a year younger, went to the mall on Christmas Eve day. It was Christmas Eve day, 1998, and they were looking for a last-minute gift for their mom. And you can imagine, I mean, driving around the mall on Christmas Eve day, they could not find a parking spot. And so for some reason, Sarah decides this is her moment to go all in with her sister. You see, her sister at that time had some doubts about her faith. She's since become a follower of Christ, but back then, she was really struggling with some issues in her life. And I don't know why Sarah decided to do this. We, we kind of laugh about it today. But she turned to her sister and she said, I am going to pray that God is going to give us a front row parking spot. And her sister looked at her and she's like, that's not going to happen. You pray for that and I'll pray that Donald Trump becomes president one day because that's not happening either. Last time I told this story, I said Brett Favre becoming a Viking, so I had to update that for you a little bit. So Sarah prays to the God of heaven and earth that he would part the cars and open up a spot in the front row. And her hope was that after this would happen, Melinda would just fall to her knees and give her life to Christ. Right after Sarah prays for this front row parking spot, somebody pulls out of the front row and Sarah pulls right in. Did her sister confess her sins and give her life to Christ on the spot? Nope. She said it was a coincidence and a lucky guess. Now that story bugs me. And it bugs me for two reasons. First of all, Sarah wasn't praying for herself. She was praying for her sister to come to Christ, which at least at that moment didn't happen. But second, it bugs me because I never get an open parking spot when I pray for one at the mall. Isn't it frustrating to you when your prayers aren't answered the ways that you were hoping that they would be? I mean, I know people who have prayed for a job and two years later, they're still sending out their resume. I know teenagers who have prayed for their parents' marriage only to have their parents separate. And so when James says that Elijah was a man just like us, he prayed for rain and it rained, there's part of me that's going, yeah, he's not really like us. Look at what James says in the very next verse. He says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Oh, so that's it, right? I mean, Elijah was just really righteous and he was super spiritual. And that's why his prayer life was so powerful and effective. I mean, I guess the Mother Teresas of this world can say that Elijah was a man just like us, but the rest of us are just not spiritual enough. Is that it? Well, no, it's not. In fact, look at what New Testament scholar and theologian Douglas Moo says about this word righteous in the book of James. He says the righteous person in the verse is simply a believer, a person who has received forgiveness through Jesus. In other words, Elijah didn't have a built-in advantage. He wasn't really righteous or super spiritual. He simply had faith in God. And James's point is that if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you can have a powerful and effective prayer life as well. But that raises an important question, doesn't it? If Elijah was a man just like us, then why isn't our prayer life as powerful and effective as his? Well, I see three reasons. These are three qualities of an effective and powerful prayer life. But before we get to those, I want to set the context for you. You see, James tells this story, or he refers to this story, 
about Elijah praying for rain. That story is found in a book in the Old Testament called 1 Kings. See, at the end of 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah goes to the king at the time, a guy named King Ahab, and he goes, Ahab, you are so sinful. You have been such a wicked and idolatrous king. It is not going to rain for three and a half years, which for an agricultural economy was devastating. But then when the three and a half years were over, Elijah goes to the top of Mount Carmel and he begins to pray. And that's where we'll pick things up in 1 Kings chapter 18. It says this. It says, Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and fell to the ground and prayed. Then he said to his servant, go and look out towards the sea. The servant went and looked, but he returned to Elijah and he said, I didn't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him to go and look, and seven times he went. Finally, the seventh time, his servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a hand rising from the sea. Then Elijah shouted, hurry to Ahab and tell him, if you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. That is the example that James gives of a powerful and effective prayer life. And remember, his point is that Elijah is a man just like us. In other words, you can have a powerful and effective prayer life, but it starts with those three qualities that I mentioned. Here's the first one. You have to be specific. So it hasn't rained for three and a half years. And Elijah's praying for what? He's praying for rain. He's not praying for partly cloudy skies. He's not praying for general precipitation in the air. He is being very specific. He's praying for rain. I used to pray prayers like, Lord, bless me today. And that's fine, but how would I even know if God answered that prayer or not? And I would pray things like, Lord, be with me today. Well, God already promises in the Bible he's always going to be with us. So what am I really asking God to do? And I'm not trying to pick on those prayers. Like I said, I've prayed those myself. But here's my point. If your prayers are vague, then your answers to prayer will be equally as vague. Let me try to show you how I do this in my own life. I have a prayer journal where I write down specific prayer requests. And so I have written down for a specific person to be healed before. I was very specific about it. I have prayed that God would lead me to just the right person for an open position that we were hiring for here at church. I have prayed that God would allow us to put an Eagle Brook campus in specific cities around the Twin Cities. And I have prayed before for a person that I've invited to come to church that they would accept that invitation. One of my specific prayer requests for years was regarding my marriage. I would pray very specifically that my wife would feel joyful in our marriage and that she would feel cherished by me. Those are the two words I use, that she would be joyful. I just wanted her to look at our marriage and go, man, I'm so glad I married him. It's been so joyful. And then I would pray that she would feel cherished, that she would look at me and just feel that that's how I feel about her. Now, I would pray this on a weekly, bi-weekly basis, but I never told her about it. And then one day she came up to me and she gave me a hug. And she goes, I just feel so joyful in our marriage lately. And I can tell that you really cherish me. And she used the exact two words that I had prayed in my prayer. So what did I do? Check that off the list. (laughs) 
I haven't cherished her in like two years, okay? I'm like, we did that, okay? That was two years ago. It's time to move on, right? Kidding. Then earlier this year, we wanted to move to get closer to our kids' school. And I began to pray for a house or a property that would fit us. And we found a property that was in our price range. And I did cross that off the list. And I've been thanking God for it ever since. And here's my point. Every time I pray for something specific and I see God answer that prayer, it increases my faith. I talk to people all the time and they'll say, oh, I just, I'm doubting God. I'm struggling in my faith. And sometimes the problem is because their prayer life is so vague and so general that they never get to experience the awe of seeing God answer a prayer. Now, before I leave this point, I need to make the observation that sometimes God doesn't answer specific prayers, or at least the way that we want him to. Years ago, I had an organization contact me from Iowa, and they were holding a youth rally for teenagers, and they wanted me to come and speak about the topic of sex. And let me tell you something, that's a great topic to speak to teenagers about, okay? I'm actually not kidding about this. You can get up in front of a group of teenagers and you can go, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus, and they're like, ah. Then you get up and go, I'd like to talk to you about what Jesus says about sex, and they're like, whoa, you know, here we go. So you've got an attentive audience, right? They're, they're captivated, they're listening. And so this organization said, we want you to speak to the boys, and we want to find a female speaker who will speak to the girls. And we're going to pay you $1,200 to do this for one talk, which was like quadruple what I had ever made before. I was praying for this to happen. A month later, they called me on the phone. They said, well, we found a female speaker. But she's insisting that if she's the female speaker, her husband has to be the male speaker. And so sorry but you're out, just like that. A week later, I got a box in the mail. They had sent me a consolation gift. I think they felt bad that I, they had committed to me and they had asked me to do this and then they had to back out last minute. And so I opened up this box and it was a wax chocolate bear. It was like the weirdest thing you've ever seen in your entire life. It, it looked like a stuffed animal, but it was made of wax and it smelled like chocolate. And the tag said you were supposed to put it in a room and it would make that room smell better. Well, our basement kind of had this little moldy smell to it. So I stuck it down in the basement and I'm telling you, that thing worked. Our basement smelled like waxy chocolate. <laughs> Just slightly better than the moldy smell we had had before. But every time I would walk by that chocolate bear, I would think, Jason, you didn't get $1,200, but don't you worry because here's a wax chocolate bear for you. <laughs> Do you ever feel like you pray for $1,200 and God gives you a wax chocolate bear instead? <laughs> I mean, this kind of thing happens for people. I know people who have prayed for a family member to come closer to God. And instead, that family member begins to push God further away. I know people who pray for a raise at work or a promotion and instead their company downsizes. I know people who pray for a loved one that they would be healed and lived. 
and instead they end up passing away. I've had a very specific health issue in our family that I've prayed about for three years. And it's been really hard because in those three years, we have seen zero to no improvement whatsoever. I've heard people say that God answers prayer in three ways. Yes, no, and yes, but not right now. And I believe that that's true. See, I've come to believe two things about God. I believe that God knows things that I don't know. And I believe that God wants the very best for my life. And when you believe those two things, when you believe that God knows things that you don't know, and he wants the very best for your life, you don't get all that bothered by unanswered prayers. You see, my kids come to me all the time with requests. And sometimes, because I know things they don't know and I want the best for their life, sometimes I will say to them, no. And other times I will say, yes, but not right now. Need to wait till tomorrow or after dinner. I believe God does the same with us. But here's my point. If Elijah had prayed some vague prayer about partly cloudy skies, I don't think James ever would have used him as an example of a powerful and effective prayer life. What if you picked out two or three specific prayer requests this week and you begin to pray those? Here's the second quality of a powerful and effective prayer life. You have to be persistent. You have to be persistent. Let's go back to 1 Kings 18 for a moment. So Elijah sends out his servant to go look towards the sea, presumably to report back on the rain clouds that are forming on the horizon. Well, look at what it says happened instead. It says the servant went out and he looked, but he returned to Elijah and he said, I didn't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him to go and look, and seven times he went. This must have been rather embarrassing for Elijah. Everyone, it's going to rain. Just go look at the horizon right now. They come back. They're like, boss, there's nothing there. Go look again. Surely the rain clouds are forming as I speak. They come back. They're like, there's still nothing there. Seven times he sends them out. I would have quit. I would have quit after the first time. I would have said, you know what? I guess it's not going to happen. But Elijah didn't quit, and here's why. He did not allow his outward circumstances to affect his inward confidence in God. He knew that God could, and in this case, would answer his prayer for rain. It was only a matter of time. Let me ask you, how persistent are you in your prayers? I know people who pray about something once or twice, and when it doesn't happen, they just throw in the towel. And they go, well, you know, I, I guess God doesn't answer my prayers. As I mentioned, I've prayed about something for three years, and I've seen no answer. But I'll tell you something, I'm not giving up. I'm not going to quit, because what if God wants to answer that prayer in year four? What if God wants to answer that prayer in year 10 or year 20? What do you need to keep praying for? What is it in your life that you used to pray about that and then you thought, well, I guess what? God's not gonna do anything. I'm just gonna quit. You need to be persistent. It's the second quality of a powerful and effective prayer life. Here's the third quality. You need to be expectant. So you need to pray about something specifically then you need to be persistent and keep praying, but then you need to actually believe that God can or will answer your 
prayer. So Elijah sends this servant out. Six times he comes back. He's like, I don't see anything. Here's what happened on the seventh time. Said the seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. Now, I don't know how big your hands are, but I wouldn't get all that excited about this. I mean, if he came back and he was like, there's a massive monsoon brewing, I'd be like, yep. But when he comes back and he's like, you know, I, I saw something. There was like one cloud in the sky. And maybe like if you put your hand up, maybe it's like the size of your hand or so. I, I wouldn't get all that excited about this. But look at how Elijah responds. Says, so Elijah said, go tell Ahab. Remember, that was the king he had confronted. Says, go tell Ahab. Hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The winds rose and a heavy rain came. Any clouds on the horizon of your life right now? I mean, maybe this last year has been really hard on your marriage. And you look back and you go, I never thought we would go through a year like this. I never thought we would grow so distant from each other. I never knew it was going to be so hard. But then in the last month or so, you look up on the horizon and there's been this little cloud. And it's not real big right now, but it seems to be getting bigger. And it's a cloud of God's blessing that's about to rain down on your life. And you say to your spouse, you say, you know what, I think we just need to hold on. Because I think better days are ahead. There's some hope. It's a really small cloud right now, but I'm telling you, it's going to get bigger. Maybe you are the parent of little kids. And that's a really challenging season of life, isn't it? I mean, you got sleepless nights. You've got postpartum emotions. You've got crying babies. What if you got your eyes off of your circumstances for just a moment and you looked up on the horizon and you saw this cloud and it's not real big right now, but it's going to get bigger and it's the blessing of God raining down on your life. You may be here today and you're a teenager and you've got a teacher or a coach that you've had some conflict with. And you don't like that teacher or that coach very much. And you think, you know what? This has been a really hard year for me. It's been a really hard season. Or maybe there's a kid at school that's been bullying you a little bit. And, and you just go, man, how am I going to get through this year? I'm telling you, if you look up on the horizon, there might be one cloud. And it's not real big right now, but it's going to get bigger. And as you follow God and you trust God and you obey God, it will be the blessing of God on your life. But see, here's what a lot of us do. We talk ourselves out of it. We go, yeah, you know, it's just a little cloud. It's not even like bigger than my hand. I don't think God's going to do anything. I don't think God's going to answer that prayer. We talk ourselves out of it. When my son Micah was four years old, we were trying to teach him about prayer and about how God answers prayer. And so we said, why don't you pray about something very specific? Now he's four years old. So what he prayed for was more Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle toys. And the minute he prayed for this, I started to try to talk him out of it. I, would, I didn't want him to be disappointed when the prayer wasn't answered. And so I said, you know, bud, I don't, I don't know that God cares about that too much. It's kind of a trite, you know, prayer. And I said, you know, I don't even know how God would answer that. I mean, how, how's God going to answer that prayer in your life? 
I tried to talk him out of it. Oh, me of little faith. You see, the next day was a Monday. And my wife was driving home and she saw a sign for a garage sale. You don't see garage sales on Monday. So she pulled in and Micah started digging through a bin and he found a whole bag of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle toys. And it was like a light bulb went off. I mean, that night we had to cut him off. He was praying so long. It was like... All right, you know, I think God's heard enough, all right? I don't even know if you can keep up with your bliss here. And he prayed for more Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle toys. A couple days later, they stopped at another garage sale. Before Sarah could even get into the garage, Micah came walking out holding two Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle toys. He looked at my wife and he goes, God is providing for me. And he was, I mean, you've heard of manna from heaven. We had Ninja Turtles coming out our ears that week, everywhere we turned. Now, could this have been a coincidence? Absolutely, it could have been. But could it have been God teaching a little boy about prayer and about faith and about how God answers prayer? I think that it could have. See, it's not just our kids that we try to talk out of expecting an answer to prayer. We try to talk ourselves out of it as well. We say things like, you know, it's, it's impossible. I mean, I prayed about that one time and nothing happened. We're too far apart. Nothing's going to change. It's too hard. There's nothing that even God could do. We start to talk ourselves out of it. But every time that Jesus answered a person's prayer, he pointed to their faith as the reason why. Every time Jesus healed someone in the New Testament, he always made a point to point out how it was their faith that caused them to be healed. What if you prayed a God-sized prayer this week, and then you had the expectancy that God could answer that prayer in your life? Several years ago, I sat down and I wrote what I wanted to accomplish in my life. And I wouldn't call it a vision, but I had this thought about myself and I was on my deathbed and I was hooked up to monitors and tubes and my wife was there and my kids were there and I asked myself, what am I gonna hope for in that moment? And I would encourage you to do this because it's really focused my life. I wrote down that I hope that my kids are followers of Christ. And so we try to orient our family around that. I wrote down, that I hope I have faith. I hope in that moment I'm not scared to die, but I'm excited to see Jesus. I hope I have a faith that's ready to die. And so I try to cultivate that in my life. I also wrote down some God-sized prayer requests. And one of those was I wrote down, if we could put an Eagle Brook campus in the west suburbs by where I grew up. I grew up out in the west suburbs. I didn't go to church until I was in college. Nobody ever invited me to church. And if they had, I'm not even sure I would have understood what they were talking about. And so I got this thought in my head that what if we could put a church out in the west suburbs that would reach the 18-year-old Jason Strand? And I couldn't get that thought out of my mind. For two years, on almost a weekly basis, I would pray, God, would you allow us to put an Eaglebrook campus in the west suburbs? 
And then one day after two years of praying this, I realized that God wasn't going to just do it. I wasn't going to have someone just come knock on my door someday and go, you know, I got this campus. It's out west. Do you guys want it or should I give it to somebody else? (laughs) That I needed to actually put some action with my prayer. And so I took a very small step. I called the school district at a local high school that was in the specific city that I had been praying for. And I asked them, I said, would it be possible for Eagle Brook to start a campus in your school? And the answer that I got was no. Her exact words were, they never say yes to this kind of thing. I said, well, can I send them an email just in case they ever change their mind? She said, sure, you can send me an email. I said, wait a minute, are are you they? She said, yeah, I'm the one who makes this decision. I said, well, I don't have a whole lot of hope that this is going to go anywhere, but I'll send you an email. And and then I included a few other people on there just to see what would happen. Miraculously, I got a response back saying that there was, in fact, interest. I saw a little cloud beginning to form on the horizon. During that season, I was reading a book by Mark Batterson, who's a pastor at a church out in Washington, D.C., And in this book, he has all these stories about properties or buildings that his church was hoping to acquire. And there was one building that he actually walked around seven times, praying that God would give it to them. And he didn't tell the owner of the building anything about this. A week later, the owner called him and he goes, I don't know what this is. This is crazy, but I feel led to sell you my building at half price. Do you have any interest? I mean, these stories were miraculous and inspiring. And so I thought, I'm going to drive out to this high school and I'm going to drive around it seven times, (laughs) which would have probably gotten me arrested, right? It's like, who's that creeper? He's almost 40 years old. We ought to be nervous about this, right? But on the day that I was supposed to go out there, it was my day off. And my youngest son, Jasper, had been begging me to set up this Playmobil fort that we had bought him for Christmas. And I thought, you know what? I needed to stay home and play with Jasper today. I'll I'll go do that another time. That was the day that I got the email saying that there was interest. And looking back on it, I, I believe that my motivation was for my own glory. I think I wanted to stand up in front of people and go, I drove around it seven times. Not five, not six. I kept going until I got to seven. And it was going to be because of me that we got this. And it was almost like God was saying to me, you will not steal my glory. You go play with your son. You, you, you take care of that. And I'll handle this. On the Friday before Easter, I was talking to our senior pastor, Bob Merritt. I said, you know, the problem with this is that I don't know if we have a lot of people who come to our church from the West Suburbs. I said, when we launched Woodbury, we had about 200 people that lived in Woodbury and they attended the Lionel Lakes campus. I said, I just don't know if we have that in the West suburbs. That was the Friday before Easter. On the Monday after Easter, I was sitting at a Whole Foods in Maple Grove having lunch with my wife. And this guy stops by our table and he goes, you know, I don't don't mean to interrupt or anything, but I just want to introduce myself. I go to Eagle Brook Church. I said, oh, do you work out here? He said, yeah, I work in Maple Grove, and I live in Orono. I said, you drive to our church from Orono? I said, that's a hike. He said, I know. He said, it's funny you say that. 
because I actually sent Eaglebrook an email last week. I said, what was the email about? He said, well, you're going to think I'm crazy. But he said, there's about 10 or 20 of us that would like to know if Eaglebrook would ever consider starting a campus in the West suburbs. And then he named the exact city that I had been praying for and had contacted that high school. I went back and I looked at his email and he talked about how he was the CFO or something of an insurance agency and how he wanted to fundraise to make this happen. After he left, the woman who was sitting next to me, who hadn't said anything up to this point, she leaned over and she said, you know, I go to Eagle Brook too. I thought, geez, they're everywhere. I can't get away from you people, right? But she said, I, I don't mean to eavesdrop, but I heard what you said. And if you put a campus there, she said, I would go to that. I live pretty close to there. And I'm going, God, you've got to be kidding me. Every step of the way, God's hand has been on this. Now, at this point in the message, my plan was to announce to you where Eaglebrook Church campus number seven was going to be. I had written this message a couple weeks ago, and up until Wednesday night of this week, that was the plan. And then we found out on Wednesday night that there was a couple things that needed to happen that we didn't know about. And because we didn't have a signed contract, we couldn't announce anything to you. And so here I am on Thursday going, well, do I cut the whole story? Do I keep it? What do I do? And my wife said something to me that I thought was so profound. She said, you should keep the story. Because sometimes people think that when a pastor or a church prays about something, well, then God's just going to do it, right? Everything they pray about just turns to gold. And that's what I think about Elisha. I go, oh, he's a prophet. Of course God answered his prayers, but I'm just a normal guy. But here's the reality. Sometimes when you pray about something, it seems like God is moving. It seems like God is going to do it. And then you hit a little bump in the road. And we've hit a little bump in the road. And there are some of you who know this all too well. You were praying about your marriage. And God was answering those prayers and things were going so well. And then you found a text message on your spouse's phone. And it was a big time bump in the road. Or you were praying about your health and, and, and God was moving and God was working. And you went to the doctor and they said, hey, you got a clean bill. You came back a year later and they said, you know, actually, it's back. That sometimes when you pray about something, it's not a straight line. And in those crucible moments of trust, you have to ask yourself, do I believe that God knows things that I don't know? And do I believe that God wants the very best for my life? Or am I going to let my outward circumstances affect my inward confidence in God? Let me tell you something. As a church staff, we are walking in faith. We are walking with the expectancy and the belief that God knows things that we don't know and he wants the best for us and we believe that he is still has his hand on this to put a campus in the West suburbs. Here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you as a church, would you pray about this? Would you make this a matter of prayer in your own life? There's a very important board meeting coming up on November 13th that will decide if we are there or if we are not. I want to invite you to pray about that because here's what we found. We found we have a lot of crazy Eagle Brookers. And I knew this because I see the way you drive with a sticker on the back of your car. I knew you're crazy, but, <laughs> but we have found that we actually have hundreds of people 
who live in Elk River and Otsego and Plymouth and Robbinsdale and Wyzetta and Medina and Buffalo and Hopkins and Minnetonka, Orono, you know, Eden Prairie, you name it. And they come to this church. And if you are one of those people, would you text the word EBC West to 555-888? We would love for you to be a part of this. Because I'm telling you, friends, there's a cloud. It's about the size of a man's hand right now. It's not real big, but it's getting bigger. And it's the blessing of God that is going to help us to reach thousands of people for Christ. And there are only a few times in your life where you get to be a part of something bigger than yourself, something that will outlast your lifetime. And if you live in the West suburbs, this is one of those moments where you get to be a part of this and volunteer and serve and create an environment that will reach thousands of people. But here's what I want to ask every one of you. What is your specific prayer request? What is that one issue or thing in your life that you just need to specifically begin to pray about? And then you need to be persistent. And then you need to be expectant. In fact, as you leave today, we've got these little cards on a table at your campus. And the card just says, Lord, my prayer is. Write down your prayer. Put that card in a place where you'll see it. And pray about this on a regular basis and see what God might want to do. There's a cloud. It's not real big right now, but it might be getting bigger in your life. Let's stand together as we pray. God, I pray for the person here who just needs to call out to you. The Bible says that when we call upon you, you hear us. God, there are some people here today who have something going on in their life. They just need to cry out to you and call out to you. And God, I thank you that you are a God who hears us and who listens. And God, sometimes you don't answer prayers in the way that we hope. But right now as a church, we declare you know things we don't know. You want the best for our life. And so no matter what happens, God, we will trust you. We will trust the plans that you have for our life. God, I pray for this board meeting coming up in November. God, I pray for your favor and your blessing. God, we really believe that your hand has been on this. And it's even a little nervous to talk about this publicly, God, but we pray right now that you would move and you would allow us to open this campus that we believe is going to reach thousands of people for Christ, thousands of 18-year-old Jason Strands who don't know God and need to know him in their life and see their family change as a result. God, we love you so much, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer, come on down front. Otherwise, have a great day, everybody.